Hello and welcome to episode five of Infraction. I'm Nadia. And I'm Sally. And today we are heading over to Wisconsin in America. And actually, as of this moment, Sal, we have several listeners from Wisconsin. Oh my God, that's crazy. Yeah, so this one's for you, you wonderful bunch. Um, so I'm going to be telling Salzo and all of you today about the kidnapping of 13-year-old Jamie Kloss. Um, are you familiar with this one, Sal? No, I don't think that name rings a bell at all, actually. Okay, then, let's start. So this story starts on October 15th, 2018 in Barron, Wisconsin. Jamie Kloss, a 13-year-old school student, was asleep in her bed in her home where she lived with her parents, Denise and James Kloss. Just before 1am, she was awoken by her dog barking. She went to her bedroom window and saw that there was a car on her driveway and someone had got out of it. She ran to her parents' room and woke them up. James Kloss went downstairs to the front door and could see a figure standing outside, holding a shotgun. He shone a light through the glass to see if he could make out who the man was. He opened up the storm door and asked the man if he could see his badge. So here I'm presuming that he thinks this guy might be a police officer or some sort of um, law enforcement official or something like that. The man said, open the fucking door, and then fired his shotgun at James Kloss. The bullet hit him in the head and he died instantly. Upstairs, having heard the gunshot, Denise grabbed her daughter Jamie and the two barricaded themselves inside the bathroom. They used heavy items, and it's been reported in some places that they used a drawer to push up against the doorknob to stop the man getting in. They then hid in the bathtub. The man walked upstairs, trying to find them. He could hear Jamie's loud sobbing coming from the bathroom. He started slamming himself against the door. In the bath, Denise used her mobile to call 911. The call lasted only 40 seconds, and I have listened to it. You really can't make anything out. There's lots of screaming and fumbling, and then Denise hangs up. And this is because the man had gotten into the bathroom. He held up his gun and he told Denise to put the phone down. The man threw a roll of duct tape at Denise and ordered her to tape up Jamie's mouth. He bound Jamie's feet and hands together and pulled her out of the bath. He then raised his gun and shot Denise in the head. He dragged Jamie downstairs and put her in the boot of his car. He pulled out of the driveway, drove 20 seconds and then pulled over as he heard sirens and saw blue flashing lights. The police officers sped past him and up to the house. They had arrived just four minutes after the failed 911 call that Denise had made in the bath. Oh my God, my heart is racing. Uh, yeah, it's quite a gripping start, I'd say. Sorry, it's like quite intense for the first three minutes of this episode. <laughs> the police found both parents dead and 13-year-old Jamie missing. Forensic evidence gave them no leads. They found shell casings from the bullets, but these had been wiped clean of fingerprints before they'd been loaded into the gun. There was no foreign DNA in the house, not even a single strand of hair. There was no witnesses either. Some neighbours did admit to having heard the gunshots, but they didn't think anything of it as it was hunting season at the time. The police had nothing. Jamie, still bound and gagged in the boot of the car, was driven two hours away from her home to a cabin in the woods um, in a place called Gordon in Wisconsin. When she was taken into the cabin, the man made her change out of her clothes and into some pyjamas. He forced Jamie under his bed, blocked off all the exits with heavyweights and big uh, filled boxes, and then he climbed into bed and fell asleep. And at this point, I just can't imagine her fear. Like, both her parents are dead and she knows that and she watched her mum get shot. And then she was dragged past her father's dead body as well. And she'd been in the boot of a car for two hours and now she's laying under this bed with this monster just sleeping on top of her. No, it's awful. And as well, I mean, for such a young child, you just, yeah, you can't comprehend it. Exactly, yeah, because she is only 13 years old. So back in Barron, Wisconsin, um, the police still had no leads and no potential suspects. On the 18th of October, so this is just three days after Jamie had disappeared, 
More than 150 volunteers scoured the area and searched for Jamie. The police had over 1,200 tips come through on their tip line, but none of them amounted to anything. Jamie's wider family, so her aunts and uncles, did lots of press conferences. Jamie's photo was in every news outlet and plastered all over Wisconsin. They even put up a $50,000 reward for anyone who could give the police information that would lead to Jamie's return or capture of the person who took her. Unfortunately, this also amounted to nothing. I guess the problem is that, so he's done this in kind of the middle of the night. I suppose there probably was very few people who would have witnessed anything. And, I mean, no one's going to report a car driving, are they? But because she's in the boot, you're not really going to be able to see that this man has committed a crime. No, and obviously he wasn't looking suspicious or anything like that because the police even drove straight past him. And obviously they were on their way to respond to the 911 call, but obviously there was nothing that stood out about his vehicle or, you know... It wasn't even suspicious to them that he'd pulled over onto the side of the road. And that kind of what was so heartbreaking for me when I was researching this was that, you know, she she might not have been successfully abducted if they'd realised that she was in the boot of the car. But that's obviously at no fault of the police. They would never have known that. But obviously for them afterwards, and I've seen some interviews afterwards, they are incredibly upset that they didn't realise that they'd just driven straight past his car. And some of the police officers even remembered seeing his car. Um, but at the time, of course, um, it was no fault of their own. And they responded so quickly to the failed 911 call, which I think um, in itself is just incredible because the 911 call, literally, you cannot hear anything. You can It's all fumbling. It kind of just sounds a little bit intense and a little bit scary, but really it could just have been um, sort of a pocket dial or something like that so for them to turn up four minutes later I do think that is incredible so I'm not at all bashing the police here they were not to know at all that she was in that car no absolutely the new year came and went and Jamie was still missing at around 4 p.m on the 10th of January 2019 a lady named Jeannie Nutter was out walking her dog in Gordon Wisconsin she was approximately 100 yards away from her holiday cabin when a young girl ran up to her wearing just a thin shirt black leggings and big shoes that were on the wrong feet. The girl said, please help me. My name is Jamie Kloss. He killed my parents and I want to go home. After 88 days, Jamie Kloss had finally been found. Oh my gosh, so the woman did help her? Yes, so Jeannie recognised the girl immediately from the news and um, quickly took Jamie to a neighbour's cabin. So I think from what I can tell, this area is very much frequented by holiday goers. So people have like holiday cabins there, but they're not there all year round. So Jeannie Nutter, the lady who Jamie ran up to, um, she, she'd only just come into that part of town. So she'd only just come to her holiday cabin, which is why she didn't take her back to her own cabin. Um, she took her to a neighbor's cabin because she said that hers was too cold because she'd only just come into town. Uh, so they knocked on the door of Peter and Christine Kaczynska's um, and they immediately called 911. So um, I have listened to the 911 call and it's about 30 minutes long and it's actually it's quite difficult to hear lots of what's being said as there's like a fair bit of interference. Um, I'll put a link in the description box in case anyone wants to listen to it. Um, but what I'll do now is just summarise the main information that came from that call. Inside the house where Jamie was now safe uh, was Jeannie Nutter and her dog, the owners of the house, so that's Peter and Kristen Kaczynskas, um, their two young children and their two dogs, and of course Jamie. So the 911 responder told them to lock all the doors and Peter stood by the door with his shotgun just in case the man came back. Jeannie had actually been a social worker for 30 years and so was very good at calming and comforting Jamie. Um, they wrapped her in a blanket to keep her warm and you can kind of hear Jeannie on the on the call. She's like, why don't you colour the dog? It'll make you feel better, which I think is just like really sweet. And she was like saying like how the dog had, like had her head in Jamie's lap and stuff, which I think is so nice. Oh, 
um, you don't hear Jamie speak on the call. It's sort of Jeannie asking Jamie the questions and then Jeannie feeding those um, answers back to the 911 responder. But Jamie says that the man who took her was called Jake Thomas Patterson. She said he kept her under his bed, sometimes for 12 hours or longer, with no food or toilet breaks, and that he would box her in with heavy items and weights. She said he wasn't home right now. He had told her that he was going out for five or six hours, and that is why she had decided to escape. Uh, He didn't normally tell her when he was going out. She didn't usually know if he was in the cabin or not, because he always put loud music on, and it was very dark under the bed. She said that sometimes she heard other people coming to the house, but that they never knew that she was there, um, and that he'd turn up the music so that even if she did make a noise, nobody would have heard her. She said that on the day, she pushed away the heavy items, grabbed a pair of Jake Patterson's shoes, and then ran out of the house. Uh, That's when she spotted Jeannie. She'd literally been a few yards out of the cabin where she'd been held captive when she saw Jeannie, so they knew that the man lived on their street. At this point, Kristen, so she's the wife um, who lived in the house where they were all waiting for the police to come, she said that she knew who Jake Patterson was, and she said he lived four cabins down from her, and he described to the 911 responder that it was the cabin that had lots of cars in the driveway and a blow-up snowman at the end of the drive. So after a long 28 minutes, the police finally arrived. Some officers went to save Jamie and the others went to Jake Patterson's house. The police waited at Jake's cabin and eventually he returned home. He was immediately arrested and taken into custody. Jake Thomas Patterson was charged with intentional homicide, kidnapping and armed burglary. And Sal, like, based on what I've said so far, what is your immediate reactions about the age of this guy? Um, I don't know. It's quite hard, actually, because he's obviously reasonably agile to be able to have committed the original homicides um i don't know 40s um yeah so i felt like that too when i was doing all my research i was like yeah probably like late 30s early 40s he was 21 years old oh my god that is bizarre completely to me that was so shocking because when you genuinely sit and think deeply about the crimes that he has committed like he shot both denise and james Kloss straight in the head like no 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 hesitation no remorse whatever just did it 21 that's that's so young to be committing crimes that violent and vicious yeah absolutely to have the confidence and we've touched on it in a few of the other episodes that quite often you see a build to what we would consider the most graphic of crime such as murder mm-hmm. and i don't know yet like you say 21 seems very young to have got to this point already um and actually i don't know i guess maybe it's a stereotype from my part that i often think of kidnappings and things as uh, the motifs seem like kind of embedded in perhaps a person's whole life so i don't know men who've maybe had an experience a lot of rejection from women mm-hmm. or um, have a lot of kind of distrust and very secluded from society whereas at 21 you wouldn't necessarily imagine that someone would feel that way enough to to go and kill someone and, and kidnap a child would you not at all not at all and that is so true what you say about the kind of motives behind this and we'll go on to talk about it his motives are completely unclear and he never really tells anyone what his motives are or why he did this but you are right normally there is a reason for it there's normally a particular reason why um that victim has been kidnapped and not at all victim blaming but i mean more like you know like a blonde or a brunette or there's a reason and like you say it's because of rejection or something to do with childhood trauma um but 21 years old is um incredibly young to be committing crimes like that 
Um, and he's not necessarily like a particularly big guy. And that shocked me as well, because obviously this is a very violent and aggressive crime, but also it would take a lot of strength to carry Jamie. Like she is, she's 13, but she she was like, she's quite tall. Yeah. For him to carry her down the stairs and things like that. He obviously has quite a lot of aggression and anger sort of fueling him. Yeah, no, completely. Very surprising. So in custody, Jake told the police everything. He actually was incredibly forthcoming. He said that the only reason he was so open with the police was because he didn't want Jamie to have to go through a lengthy police interview. He told the police that he knew Jamie was the girl he was going to take. He said that he had seen her on the bus and then his decision had been made. But he didn't actually know who she was beforehand. He had literally just seen her in passing and then his mind was made up, which to me is absolutely terrifying. No, completely. It plays on everyone's worst fear, I think, doesn't it? That someone could just see you and, yeah, and decide just like in that snap moment. And you just don't, you don't do anything. You're just getting, I think she was getting, I think the bus that she was on was her school bus. So she was just travelling to and from school and then some random individual just made the decision that she was going to be the one that he was going to kidnap. It is absolutely petrifying. Yeah. He said that he had attempted to kidnap Jamie two times before but that each time there had been too many witnesses. And that's why he waited until the dead of the night to do it on October the 15th. But to me, that was incredibly surprising that he tried to do it two times before. So he's uh, obviously incredibly set on this idea of, of taking her. Yeah, absolutely. But presumably by saying he's tried, I'm guessing that he hadn't jumped out of his car and tried to push her in the boot or anything, but more that he'd, I don't know, maybe planned it, had he, and, and waited in an area before changing his mind. Um, no, I think on one particular occasion he did get out of the car. So I'm, I believe, and I, I don't have any notes on this, but I think from something that I read, he got out of the car one time, but I think her auntie was round or something like that. Like there were too many witnesses. It wasn't just her parents who were in the house. Right. Um, I think they had guests over. So he had actually got out of the car um, to attempt to do it, but obviously didn't succeed in it because he said there were too many witnesses. So it's very calculated this. Yeah, absolutely. But then also it seems strange to, if he's very concerned, well, I suppose you would be about getting caught and witnesses, then actually it does like strike me as slightly strange that he then went and shot her parents and drew so much attention to it because, as we said, the police were very close to getting there in time. And I don't know, maybe mm-hmm. she never was alone, but I'd have sort of thought that there might be a time, I don't know, walking to and from the school bus or something where he could have avoided the homicides as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was my exact thoughts when I was researching this. That was honestly what was going through my head is that he says that he tried before that there were too many witnesses. But I mean, this time there were still two witnesses and he still committed two intentional homicides. So um, yeah, for me, I I massively am on your page there. There were there would have been other ways to do this without killing anyone. Yeah, absolutely. So during those 88 days, we really don't know what happened to Jamie. Um, I've searched and searched, but there's no real information that's been released. I assume this has lots to do with her age. But also Jake Patterson pled guilty and therefore there was no trial. And obviously it's usually at the trial that all this information comes out. So the only bit of information that I did find was that Jamie did say he hit her very hard on um, her back with a pole or a rod and told her that if she ever tried to escape or make noises when people were around, that he would do much worse to her. So we know that he certainly was violent towards her, but I guess that really doesn't come as any surprise. No, and it doesn't really serve then to to help us understand the motive. I mean, I'm really relieved and pray that the abuse didn't go on beyond that. 
mm-hmm. um, as it so often does. But equally, it'd be interesting to understand what kind of role it was that he wanted Jamie to fill in his life. Mm-hmm. That's actually very interesting what you say about um, the role to fulfil. That's really fascinating, actually, because that is so true. That is often why people are kidnapped, because they're filling some kind of void in someone's, in the kidnapper's life, or that kind of thing. So that is interesting. It would be interesting to know. Yeah, completely. I think sometimes you you can kind of deduce from the behaviour of the kidnapper that maybe they want the victim to be some mm-hmm. kind of partner to them, some kind of wife, girlfriend role, albeit in a very bizarre and horrific context and then other times I've heard about them fulfilling more of a a child dependent sort of role and you hear of them making them you know their captives dress up etc so it's interesting here I guess like you say there isn't a lot of information released because of no trial but it's not obviously clear is it especially given that he's 21 why he would do this it could be maybe like a companion thing so he lived alone in this cabin i th- i can't remember what happened i think his parents either got a divorce or, or his mum either passed away or moved away um but he moved out of his um home that he shared with his brother and his dad um but they did visit him very regularly i, I remember reading somewhere that his dad came around every saturday for example and that kind of thing and he claims that he had absolutely no idea that jamie was there so maybe it was more for um companionship that kind of thing maybe that's the kind of role that um he wanted jamie to fill but i mean you know we won't ever know i doubt i doubt we'll ever know um but it's definitely something very interesting to think about and why and could kind of lead to the motive of why he did this yeah absolutely because also you think okay as you say lonely maybe he's a real recluse but didn't you mention that Jamie did say that there were people that came Mm -hmm. around from the cabin so he's obviously got some kind of social network regardless of whether they're his Mm -hmm. best friends coming around he's obviously not completely isolated as you sometimes Mm -hmm. imagine these Mm -hmm. people to be. Yeah no that's really true yeah he did he had friends who came around he had his brother who visited and like I said a minute ago he had his dad who came around every Saturday so yeah he wasn't isolated at all really it doesn't seem that he was completely friendly or anything like that so yeah maybe companionship isn't the um, motive behind this but it would be so interesting to know because um, he went to great lengths to kidnap Jamie and bearing in mind she wasn't someone that he knew it seems incredibly shocking that he went to such horrific and um, intentional lengths to get rid of any witnesses or to essentially be able to kidnap her no absolutely So from prison, Jake wrote a letter to a reporter named Lou Raguse um, in which he apologised for what he had done. She, um, so the reporter Lou, had written Jake a letter with questions and he responds to some of those questions in this letter. He didn't explain why he did it. He said he didn't want to do it and that the reason was complicated, but that, in inverted commas, this was mainly on impulse, I don't think, like a serial killer. And, I mean, we've kind of already touched on this, but that is, that's absolute rubbish because... It isn't on impulse if you try to do it two times before. To have, you can have an impulse and if you don't act on it, you might think that then in the two weeks from when he first tried, when he next, that he might have been able to quash some of those Mm -hmm. impulses um, and realise that actually what he's about to do is a crime. So if if you were going to go down the impulse angle, I think he's got to at least admit that this became an obsession for him more Mm -hmm. than an impulse. And also on top of that, it was just so clearly premeditated so uh, trying to remember this but 
I read somewhere that he shaved off his hair and his beard and had actively wiped down the bullets before he put them in the gun because he knew they'd leave shell casings and he knew that the police could get his fingerprints off them. So it was incredibly calculated, it was incredibly premeditated. Shaving off your hair and your beard so you don't leave any hair follicles or anything like that or any DNA evidence, you cannot say that's on impulse. You don't impulsively shave off your hair and then impulsively wipe down bullets and put them in a gun that you know you're going to use to kill two people. No, all very good points. Like you say, it just speaks more to the fact that this is clearly something he's thought about over quite a prolonged period of time. Yeah, so in this letter to the reporter, he does write that he pled guilty to save Jamie from having to go through a trial. And in response to the question that asked what his long-term plan with Jamie was, he wrote, won't say it was really stupid looking back. He finishes the letter by saying, no one will believe or can even imagine how sorry I am for hurting Jamie this much. Can't express it. Then in giant bubble writing on the back of the paper, he's written, I'm sorry, Jamie, exclamation mark, for everything. I know it doesn't mean much. That's very strange. And actually, my initial thought here is this really speaks to his age. Mm -hmm. The fact that he, you know, may or may not suddenly be overcome with guilt. The fact that he seems to think, you know, maybe a sorry can fix this, particularly with regards to Jamie herself suggests to me maybe he just sort of see her as a friend it sounds like he's apologizing for i don't know breaking her favorite pencil doesn't it Mm -hmm. and actually suggests some affection for her clearly which seems odd for someone that he's kept under his bed for two and a half months but actually it's i don't know i just think it's striking that his priority here is feeling remorseful to the very person whose life he has had the worst impact on i mean not only has he taken her probably terrified her long term but he's taken her parents Mm -hmm. i think you're right it does massively speak to his age um even the way that he phrases some of the things in the letter like the fact that he says um no one will believe or or can even imagine how sorry I am for hurting Jamie this much. Can't express it. Like, he doesn't even write, I can't express it. He's just like, can't express it. And obviously, like, the bubble writing. Well, and he's the fact he's not able to, I think, I'm not saying it is easy to put down in words how sorry you feel, but I'm sure you could try. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? But to just have no ability to express your remorse over something fairly mm-hmm. significant. <laughs> Um, yeah, like you say, I think that's quite striking. And also, like, the whole letter in general is in sort of text speech. Um, so at the top of the letter, he'd written something like, IDK, if I'll actually send this, instead of writing, I don't know. Um, and then he scribbles loads of stuff out throughout the letter. And then at the end of the letter, he does, like, a little key. So he does, like, a scribble and then wrote, and he actually wrote, self-redaction, lol. Like, How bizarre. that's so bizarre. This is a letter in which you're admitting you did the most heinous crimes to someone. You're saying that you're incredibly sorry for this. But to me, his kind of lack of um, expression throughout this and his lack of kind of like care that he's given to written this to, to writing this letter makes me think that this is all just for show. And although he does do a lot of things that maybe could be deemed as trying to ease the pain for Jamie, like he doesn't go to trial and he pleads guilty and all the rest of it, he says that is for Jamie. I mean, we don't know that. It could literally just be that he got a good plea deal um, or the fact that it was incredibly obvious that um, he would be sentenced for this crime and he would be convicted of it. I don't know. He says he did it for Jamie. It's not something that we know. But this letter in general just seems so almost like disrespectful because of how sort of blasé it is and how um, carelessly it's written. Yeah, it makes me wonder as well if he actually understands the gravity of what he's done. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. 
maybe he doesn't. It'd be quite interesting to see a, a psychologist's report of him um, mm-hmm. to try and understand what kind of capacity they think he had. Because, yeah, it really does just sound the way... You know, who writes self-rejection and lol in a letter anyway? But mm. who writes it in something about a crime so huge? Yeah, it just really does sound like he's apologising for something quite trivial. Yeah, yeah, like exactly like you said earlier, like to breaking her favourite pencil or something. It is, it's, it's so strange. And and I've always wondered, like, is this because he doesn't have mental capacity? Um, is it because maybe he has uh, learning difficulties or something like that? Um, or is it just because yeah, he doesn't he doesn't care. It's either that he doesn't care or that he really just doesn't understand. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like you say, for show or he just isn't capable of the kind of cognition required. Mm-hmm. Jake Patterson is serving two life sentences in prison and will never be released. Jamie now lives with her aunt and in a statement read by the family's attorney on the first anniversary of her abduction in October 2019, it was said that she is moving forward courageously and reclaiming her life. Her incredible spirit and strength continues to inspire everyone around her, which is absolutely wonderful. And I think incredible spirit and strength does aptly sum up how amazing Jamie is to have handled such an awful and violent and horrific trauma as this must have been. No, absolutely. I think for for me, this has been another really glowing story after some very very horrible moments um of as you just said victim strength i can't begin to imagine trying to recover from a trauma like that but it sounds as though she really is doing what she can to to move on which is all all she can do really at at such a young age of 13 14 at the time Mm -hmm. but it's still incredibly remarkable for her to do so and and how fantastic that she's got family there supporting her through the process Mm. Mm. I can't remember the exact quote but I saw in a statement um, she did say something like I have my freedom and he will never have his which is so brave and such an inspirational and strong thing to say no absolutely I think that's a lovely lovely quote to finish on it is absolutely um so thanks everyone for listening as always sources in the description box and follow us on instagram at infraction.thepod to see photos each week thank you for listening please come back next week where we will what are we doing next week oh where we will be discussing an absolutely crazy strange story about a woman who disappeared without a trace and sal you know how much i can't wait to do this one (laughs) (laughs) all right thanks everyone see you next week bye bye (laughs) that was well high pitched (laughs) 